Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, June 27th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris back on the regular schedule, at least until the holiday next week, of course, July 4th, one week from today. So we probably aren't recording an episode that day. Maybe we'll do one before then. And, and we'll be grilling. Release it that day. And drinking beer. Seems like a good plan. I have to jump in on that with you. The focus today is going to be on a few different things, replacing stars in the wake of Bryce Harper's injury over the weekend. We're going to talk about Alejandro Kirk and a case for not really fitting the mold. Uh, Alejandro Kirk has been really good so far this year, and there's some uh, regrets on my part because I have him in exactly zero leagues <laughs> this season. We're going to talk about the absence of second half league, something that has existed in the past, but does not seem to exist anymore. And we've got a few mailbag questions we're going to try and get to as well. So the first question today, if you are someone who has Bryce Harper on your team, or if you've been in a situation in the last few weeks where you've lost one of the other very good or star level players that has been taken down by injury, Mookie Betts, probably another good example based on what he has been doing. What is your best path to replace that player? Obviously, in some leagues, a lot of leagues, you can go out and try and make a trade. And even if you can't get a similarly projected player, you can at least get a better upgrade than you can from the waiver wire. But there's sort of two different problems here. There's the, sure, you can trade, go down that path problem. And then there's the, oh, you can't trade. You're playing an NFBC or you're in a league where people just are difficult to trade with. How do you try and survive a very lengthy absence from one of the very best hitters in the player pool. Yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult one because uh, if you're like me and you've been using a little bit of your free agency auction money, you know, every week, uh, you don't have the big hammer. So if there is a big new player that comes up, uh, you won't have you know the two hundred, three hundred dollars you need to do to drop on to get to get one of those guys, the big new call up. And in fact, to be honest. Like looking around, I feel like there might be one guy and that's Corbin Carroll. Um, and I don't know that there are a ton of other uh, bat prospects that are knocking on the door that haven't come up yet. Um, I mean, I guess like a Francisco Alvarez for the Mets, is a, there's a possibility he's up this year. And, you know, I've heard some really good things recently about uh you know him covering holes that he had in the past and showing big big league power just uh you know sort of 60 70 raw power type reports so that's exciting but he's also a catcher and he might not it might not hit both of them might not hit even Corbin as good as Corbin Carroll is like he might not hit right off the bat and asking him to replace Bryce Harper uh you know uh is asking for a lot so i don't i don't know that i see 
any really obvious hitters that could that could I'd be waiting to to drop my hammer on to to kind of replace Harper that way. So I think the only really answer is to just uh, you know work the wire and 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 try to uh, you know do those little good pickups here and there and find find the right name for this week and. Um, the only problem with that too is that you're now down a roster spot because are you going to drop Bryce Harper uh, to get an extra spot uh, in no IL leagues? Um, I mean, I, I would at least wait to hear some more about the prognosis. Yeah, I would, would want more details before dropping him, but I think it's trending that way because we're still talking about five to six weeks at the shorter end, most likely, and given that we're already halfway or nearly halfway through the season, it becomes increasingly difficult to manage without a player like this. If I heard it was displaced, uh, that was that's the big thing I'm waiting for. A non-displaced fracture, I think you can do on that lower end. Um, even four to six. If it's not displaced, um, you know, there's you just don't have to, you don't have to do surgery. You know, if it's displaced, you have to do surgery. You have to cut in there. And once you cut into something, then there's just every the recovery time is always longer because you're 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 just messing around in there, you know. Uh, but if it's non-displaced, then he can wear like a soft cast, and uh, and it, it could be a matter of, of weeks as a, as opposed to a matter of months. Um, so I, that's what I'd be listening for because in order to do the drip 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 strategy of a little bit here, a little bit there, you kind of need that roster spot, right? Because right? now what you're going to try and do is pick up two players that could replace Harper and maybe one has a good week and maybe start sort of semi streaming these guys, you know, platooning two guys or, or sort of have like an open door where you got one you'd like a little bit. The other one didn't turn out as good. So let's try replacing him with another guy. And that's the drip, drip, drip strategy. I think it's doing everything, digging in the corners that you might be doing already in your league. It's looking at the schedule. Oh, this team has a series in Coors and this guy who's not actually rostered is going to be, playing all those games in Colorado this week, and I'm going to stream this hitter. I think it comes down to a situation more like that. I mean, I think you're right as far as Corbin Carroll being probably the last really big impact prospect we're going to see this year on the position player side. Miguel Vargas might be another name. Maybe he gets a shot with the Dodgers. I'd be a little more worried about everyday playing time with him, whereas I feel like if Carroll comes up, they're just clearing a spot for him in Arizona. Just from a hypothetical standpoint, when you lose a star for a lengthy period of time, if you had the money in your in-season pickup budget, are you more likely to throw the Hail Mary at that prospect? Knowing that they are generally not good in-season investments, dollar for dollar for fab, are you more likely to chase that player with a larger production hole that you're trying to fill? Yeah, I think so. I mean, because you've you've already if you've already put yourself in the position to have that hammer and you have a large amount of free agency auction budget, the only decision really is pitcher or hitter. And I think the decision has just been made for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you could hold it all for Max Meyer when he comes up, and maybe that was your thought. Well, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'm holding this hammer for Max Meyer, uh, and maybe Max Meyer's worth worth a hammer. But uh, now that you've lost Harper. Sorry, Max Meyer. I gotta, you know, I gotta throw this at Corbin Carroll or somebody else. So, 
in leagues where you can make trades, I think it's probably finding one or two upgrades in other spots that help make up the ground. If keeper dynasty leagues, it's different because you can give up long-term value for the short-term upgrade. In redraft leagues, it becomes really difficult unless you have an excess of something else. Finding someone that wants to trade with you and give you back something that will actually help you can be a bit of a challenge. I was looking at the rest of the season projections from the bat X and just sorting by Woba just to kind of get a, a catch-all feel. I mean, Bryce Harper had the fourth highest projected Jeez. Woba tied for third for the rest of the season. It's Trout, Tatis, Vlad Jr. and Harper are tied. Josh. Juan Soto's up there too. Judge, Alvarez, of course. So, I mean, you're going to the very top of the board. And the first name, as I started to go down the list, the first name I saw as a player we talked about on Friday Will Smith, first that was the first name I saw that surprised me at how high he was. And it's just, mm. just Woba. And all the things we were talking about with Will Smith last week, I think, hold up here. Because if you if you think about a team where one catcher league, two catcher league, you're not get, you're not getting enough production from your catcher spot or your second catcher spot. If you could make a trade for Will Smith right now, that could be a massive upgrade. It could be a, almost enough of an upgrade in that roster spot offset. to offset a lot of what you're going to lose going from Harper to the first outfielder on your bench or someone you're streaming off the wire. It's not going to fully get you there. That's a really interesting thing. Look around your team at somewhere else where you're massively under, right? Because when I look at, especially, and I think this is even more true in like a 10-team league, because Will Smith is probably more available in a 10-team league, right? In a 15-team league, two-catcher, they're like, no, I'm not giving you Will Smith. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So in this one-team league, I'm looking at the wire and I'm saying, you know what? I can't do Harper, but I can find a replacement-level outfielder pretty easily. Because I'm looking at our our 10-team league with five outfielders and a decent bench, and I'm seeing Brandon Nimmo, Mark Canna, Andrew McCutcheon, Mike Yastrzemski, Randall Grichik. And no, not one of them is ever going to do it for me. But Randall Grichik at home for, you know, four games out of seven. Now I'm into him, right? Mike Yastrzemski on the road, maybe. Andrew McCutcheon at home for, you know, especially if there's got a whole week at home and I can just put him in for a week. Yeah, I like that. Mark Canna away from home. Uh, I like him a little bit more, you know. So, um, you know, you can pitch and you can sort of uh put together a Frankenstein Harper uh by by streaming those guys maybe uh but uh but to really uh, do yourself better is like maybe I'm a really terrible at second base and I just need to go get a second baseman to go find an uh, a second baseman I could buy and maybe that's more attainable maybe will Smith more attainable so I like that idea I think your your other angle is to find some players where the projections maybe haven't caught up to a new level of production. So that could be digging down to a Taylor Ward players. or yeah, or like a current breakout player that just is at a completely new level. Again, it kind of goes back to buying high, but buying high on Taylor Ward is not at all like trading for someone projected like a Bryce Harper. So maybe you end up being wildly right about a player that most of the league is relatively skeptical about. I think that's another path that you have to consider. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that you should uh, believe last uh, 30 days splits. Um, but, but doing the last 30 day split, you can start to see some players that might be regressing back to uh, something you believe in. So Trent Grisham, amazingly, signs of life, t- last 30 days, 240 batting average, five homers and two steals. That's way better than his overall line. And if you're just looking at his overall line, you wouldn't even consider him in that group of potential outfielders uh, that you might use to, to replace. So 
Uh, I do think sometimes looking at the last 30 days uh, changes your mind a little bit about a player. Lane Thomas is only rostered in 12% of leagues. He's hitting 272 with six homers over his last month. Uh, it's going to heat up in his home park, and we always it was always projected to be pretty good. So, you know, those are, those are just two players um, that are kind of playing already in the middle of regressing to the mean in a positive way, however, however you want to put that, Pro- progressing to the mean. Yeah, I think the other part of this is attacking a few categories. Look at the standings and say, okay, I can't get all of what Harper does, but in what categories are the things that Harper was going to do most closely contested in this league right now? And say, oh, okay, well, RBIs and and home runs are really tight right now. So at least I'm going to prioritize going out and trading for Giancarlo Stanton. And that that's going to be somewhat close in those categories, at least. Or I'm going to pick up Jesus Sanchez who's maybe not going to steal me bases or hit for the same batting average, but you know maybe he's got the power ability. Or maybe I'm going to put Jesus Sanchez in my rotation of outfielders uh, when he's away from home to try and capitalize on some homers. So, yeah, that's, a, that's a definitely a good idea. And then, you know, is that, you know here's, a, here's, a, uh, here's a name that's uh, really interesting for you if you decide that batting average is safe or puntable. Joey Gallo. Oof, yeah, I mean, that's... if you just really, I mean, you're talking about you're talking about hail, hail marys and and ideas like that. I mean, Joey Gallo is is showing up on everybody's wire now, and people are getting really tired of him. The weirdest thing about Joey Gallo is that his barrel rate is almost exactly the same as it was last year, and every projection system says he's going to hit 20 more homers. I know. I'm just saying it's weird because it's like <laughs> I don't believe it, but maybe I should. Max Muncie is the other player that projections wise shows up really high. I just think in his case, it's been explained for a couple of months now. He's just not healthy. He had the elbow injury. I don't, I just don't think he's right. So you can't in that case, trust the project projection for a reason that is well known. Um, another catcher for some reason, a guy that's kind of standing out to me right now is Alejandro Kirk because he pops in the Woba projections. He's right up there with, Reese Hoskins and George Springer, Matt Olson, Kyle Tucker, in terms of his projected Woba the rest of the way from the Bat X. He's been very good so far this season. He's top 15 in Fangraph's war entering play on Monday with a 322, 409, 523 line. 10 homers, plenty of runs, plenty of RBIs, playing time obviously now trending to the everyday sort of level. Um, aside from the fact I don't have him anywhere, and we'll talk more about that later. I start thinking about Alejandro Kirk and I just get excited about the the possibilities that other players who don't fit the mold of, of what scouts and baseball analysts are looking they for, look how, like. how they can significantly exceed expectations. You know, I think there's a, a lot of times when we're looking at players and evaluating talent, we're looking at what players can do and then dismissing them because of a few things they don't do. Or in the case of Kirk, perhaps he's been dismissed at times because he's short and stocky like very stocky and also maybe some more legitimate concerns about his defense right like is he a great defensive catcher yeah but i i almost wonder if if the position he played dismissed him to the point where people just totally lost sight of how much he could hit because remember when alejandro kirk first showed up in the big leagues the stack cast numbers were really good in a very small sample right if you blind resume it, like if you just gave someone that information and they didn't know anything about Alejandro Kirk. Yeah, like I have some shares because because of the good contact rate in the barrel. Right? 
Right. Like if you just looked at that, you'd say, oh, wow, I'm really interested in this guy. This guy seems like he can hit. And yeah. guys that hit like this play somewhere, even if the defense at catcher or even first base or a corner outfield spot, even if it's not where it needs to be. So, I mean, you could you could go way back to Jose Altuve as another player that just mm-hmm. he's just he's unique. And the, the story goes that several times Altuve showed up at the, the Astros uh, camp and was just turned away because he was too small. And look how good Jose Altuve is. And again, we're talking about a very unique sort of outlier. But I just wonder how often players get pushed into a certain path because of physical characteristics. And then we miss out on players who are actually extraordinary players because they do these other things really, really well. Yeah, I mean, I, I to some extent, I wonder if uh, this is the O'Neill Cruz thing in 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 Pittsburgh is a little bit like that, where it's just like we're we're talking constantly about how tall he is and how big he is and how he can't be a shortstop, and it's like, who cares? Like, put him out there. Like, he's super super exciting. It's a little bit different. It's like a it's a it's a it's like, oh, what a burden to be like this massive athletic talent compared to like Alejandro Kirk. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm totally like O'Neill Cruz. Just like, just I, I've been overlooked. Just like O'Neill Cruz. What are you talking about? You know, but but uh, but you know, it, it, there there are sort of physical characteristics that we sometimes get all wrapped up in that that don't help us, and and sometimes our eyes deceive us. I was watching some Jack Sawinski, and I don't think that uh, you know that he hit my eyes as as much of an athlete as he is you know what i mean um he's super fast throws the ball really hard and hits the ball really hard i mean he is he is an athlete of the of the top regard this has come up with hunter pence i think in the past too just a player that does things in a way that doesn't look the way you would draw it up like if you know, this this is what a player should look like when he throws or swings the bat or runs the bases right so this this has been applied to players in every sport for forever it's not new i just think it's really interesting that kirk has been this good of a hitter and i think my my reservations for kirk specifically were more about playing time paths on a crowded team where they already yeah. had some guys that have defensive limitations and then because of the other catching depth they had too I just I was just worried there wasn't going to be a max playing time volume. Obviously, that has played out in a way where he is just shown, no, you're you're going to play me and someone else is going to sit. So, a lesson to be learned for me in this case. I'm glad you brought up the Pirates because they're one of many teams that has a bit of a, a pile of injuries right now and as they get players back, they're going to make some decisions. They're going to make some decisions about young players that I think we're interested in. I don't think O'Neill Cruz is in danger of being shuttled back to AAA quickly when someone gets healthy. I think if he goes back to AAA, it's because of a prolonged stretch of a really high K rate. And I'm not suggesting that that's what's going to happen. I'm suggesting that that's really the only way they would send him down. But other players up and down the roster might not be nearly as safe because they're not necessarily a clear part of the Pirates' long-term future. Yeah, uh, there was a Charrington, I think, was on the radio today. Uh, there's a Mike Persak, P-E-R-S-A-K, uh, was a writer that was uh, summing up what Charrington said. And uh, this is what he said. Charrington says, the Pirates believe there could be de- developmental value for some rookies in going back to AAA when uh, IL guys return. Reemphasizes that the healthier and deeper the Pirates are, the better chance they have to put their best 13 position players on the active roster. 
So, uh, you know, the way that I, I, I see this is there's probably two camps. One camp is, uh, listen, we're building for the future. Let's put the best, the best young players out there and see which one of these guys will be around when we are good again, right? So let's put Bly Madras out there. Who's a, you know, if you want to take a, a long shot on someone to replace Harper, there's a guy with power and speed that's hitting the ball hard and makes good contact. Who knows what will happen with him? If I, I think, I think if I was running the Pirates, I would uh, rather see what he has to give me than uh, what Josh Van Meter can give the team. Um, uh, but also what Ben Gamble can maybe give the team. However, um, the other camp is let's never give up any value uh, that we might have. Let's keep as much value on the roster and in the organization as we can. And so if you're thinking about it that way, then you're saying, okay, I'm going to demote Madras or Cal Mitchell because if I play Ben Gamble, who's a free agent at the end of the season, if I play him now on, in sort of an everyday world, I might be able to convince another team that he is a viable third outfielder replacement, you know, like convince the Phillies even to, to, to trade for Ben Gamble for, for the next two months or, um, you know, to convince some other team that this is a, this is a good player they want to trade for. Then I get a new asset into the organization from get Ben Gamble. And then I can call Madras or Mitchell back up. So, uh, you know, we were just discussing Mitchell and Madras, uh, the two of us. And I was saying, I prefer Madras because of, uh, the fact that he hits the ball hard and he makes good contact. Uh, but you were mentioning that Mitchell, was a high draft pick um and maybe they believe there's more to him madras is older uh, yeah four years older three years older so uh there may be a decision coming you know if you do the if you do kind of the roster math that has been plied by this statement um uh, there's going to be a decision coming on someone like yu chang who i think will be either be a dfa uh you know i think he's a possibility for dfa I think uh, Park has been playing well. Hoy Park has been playing well, but I think he could be demoted. Um, the best players that could be demoted, though, are Diego Castillo, uh, Bly Madras, and Cal Mitchell. I think the uh, I think one to two of those players will be demoted uh, once everyone's back. Because if you think about it, they're getting back Gamble, um, they're getting back Man Meter, uh, Kevin Newman. Um, so those are three guys that are coming back that they, they'll need to make room for. Yeah. I mean, Newman's a great defensive shortstop, but I'm just not confident he's ever going to hit like he did. Was that 2019? The year of the rabbit ball. Uh, yeah, could make I would sense consider for sending him down. I, I would just think about he's 20, he's 28 already. I would try to trade him to the angels and say, Hey, now, now you got a, you got a great defensive shortstop. At least, at least you're, you're not giving anything up there. And they kind of have some options already. Maybe there's some other team that could use definitely call someone like that. Yeah, I mean, this guy has a little bit more bat to him than somebody like Andrew Velasquez. But I think this is just a, a good exercise to go through. The Pirates are the example we're using on the show today, but I think you can kind of look and see for for non-contending teams that are trying to break in young talent, at least for this month before we get to the trade deadline, it's still tough to know if they're going to play the younger, more interesting player or if they're going to take advantage of having some guys that have options left, send them back to AAA, 
and then you know wait until August to actually bring them back. If you're thinking about them in NL only leagues or in, in keeper and dynasty leagues, it creates a lot of different opportunities to eventually end up with some good long term value. Because I think once you flip the calendar to August, a lot of these younger guys are going to be a little bit safer. But up and down their lineup, most of their regulars have minor league options remaining. The only regular in the Pirates lineup that they can't option down without exposing him to waivers is Daniel Vogelback. They could probably get away with putting him on waivers. He might refuse the assignment if he has the ability to do that, but they just they have more flexibility on that roster than you realize. And if you're clinging on to a young player with an opportunity there, it might disappear somewhat unexpectedly. Yeah. Yeah, like I picked up Madras in some NFBC leagues this this week. Um and um, I did so on a very cheap level, single digits. And um, the reason that I wouldn't invest more than that is because he might be back down very soon. And it's just something that I, that I, that I have to consider as much as I do like certain aspects of his production. I think it's also interesting when you look at a team like the Diamondbacks. We were just talking about, you know, would you be super interested in Corbin Carroll when he comes up? Um, you know, what are the Diamondbacks going to do? And when I... Uh, when I look at this Diamondbacks team, I don't actually see room for Corbin Carroll right now because mm. I like they may be shopping David Peralta um, and he is a free agent at the end of the season, but I don't think you just drop David Peralta. You know what I mean? You're not just going to DFA David Peralta. He's 10% better than league average. Somebody might have some use for him at the trade deadline. Um, then you've got Alec Thomas in center and that means that Dalton Varsho is a fourth outfielder slash catcher. Um, which means that you don't, I don't think you, even if you DFA Jordan Luplo, I don't see a starting gig. You only bring up Corbin Carroll if you have a starting gig for him. So even if you DFA Jordan Luplo, you'd have to be moving Paven Smith to DH, which I don't think is great for the organization long-term because he has some defensive value, right? Yeah. I mean, they're playing Buddy Kennedy a, a bit right now too. So I think they, they do have a spot, even if they hold Peralta, but I think, Moving Peralta at the trade deadline would make it obvious that there's a clear outfield spot that is Carroll's every single day instead of you know floating players to the DH spot. So I'm a little more optimistic about it, I think, than than you are. But their incentive to call him up is what after the trade deadline. Yes, there might be room for Corbin Carroll. <laughs> but if you I see him picking him up now, and you might be waiting four more weeks before he gets the chance, or five more weeks before he actually gets the call, and then at that point in August, what's their incentive to bring him up then? Right. Yeah. And then they could bring up some no name that they wanted that they, you know, some somebody who's popped in their organization in the minor leagues where they're just like, hey, we want to see what this guy's got. You know, Corbin Carroll's the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, we need to see if this like 26 year old, you know, Bly Madras, you know, like we need to see if this guy's legit or not. So many teams have guys, most teams have guys like that in their system that they believe in. Uh, Jake McCarthy might be a guy like that for Arizona, maybe. I don't know. I think he's a former first rounder, at least, so or supplemental first rounder. Yeah. So all that's to say, like, if we knew. 189 WRC plus in, in AAA this year. I understand if you have bench space, why you'd pick up Carroll now for a lot less than he'll go for if he is to get called up. But at the same time, space. <laughs> realize you might be holding for a month and maybe all season without actually getting something back. It's just a really tough situation to to read into. I spent uh, I spent uh, on the pitching side. I just I, I bought Luis Patino everywhere and uh, got him from nine to twenty two dollars. 
So different different amounts. I got like four or five shares. That's a little bit different though, because returning from the IL, you at least have a sense of like the timing of it, right? Patino is close. It's like one or two more rehab starts and then he's going to come up. However, I still have the risk that I just spent much of money on a guy who's the six starter slash bolt guy in Tampa. Possible, but um, I was intrigued at the beginning of the season and I remain intrigued now. So I think given how difficult it's been to find high volume, great pitchers in many leagues, I would take the chance on Patino for a couple of weeks and see. Nick Lodolo probably fits into that too. I think he's got one more rehab assignment. And by this time next week, he could be back as a member of that Reds rotation. It's been a bit of a longer Longer recovery for him than expected, but I also think that's just a reminder. Don't do not take the timetables that are first thrown out there at face value. A lot of times they are on the aggressive side. So especially when you talk about a young pitcher, teams tend to err more on the side of caution. Um, I wanted to bring this up because someone asked about it, but second half leagues, I thought there would be second half leagues running at the NFBC and on fan tracks and Digging around a little bit today, I don't see anybody actually running them. doesn't mean they don't exist anywhere. It just means the places I'm looking for them don't have them. And I find that to be surprising because we all love draft season. Most of us in the podcast writing side of this business play in 10, 12, 15 plus leagues. A lot of people listening play in at least a couple. And I think if you have, especially only play in one league, if you reach June or July and your team is buried, and you know like this is not your year, keeper league or not, you just know that you're not going to win this year, wouldn't you want to go through the process of having a second chance to play another partial season? I mean, it's not, it's not like it's not fun. We played a 60-game season back in 2020, and I think we were just grateful to have anything. So to choose that by design for the second half, to go through the exercise of evaluating players again and getting a chance to roster players maybe that you didn't have on your your previous season-long teams. like All of that seems like a good thing for us as a collective group of players, but it also seems like it makes business sense for leagues to be out there for people to play. Yeah, yeah. And like uh, looking at uh, our league, uh, there's, a, there's a decent correlation between moves made and, and places in the standing. So there's definitely, you know, that... Uh, uh, Oh, that league! I forgot about that league. <laughs> you know, just the, when you go through, even if you have if you have multiple leagues, if you go through the process of like, you know, oh, I have to do my FAB. Well, you start with the one that you're doing well in or the most money is on, and then you have the least amount of time and attention for that last league where you're in last place and there's no money or whatever. Um, I think it's a, I think it would be a great idea uh, to have this, especially like. Uh, maybe you don't want to add the another one where you have to do lineups, but what about second half drafting holes? That would work. You know, you you there's a there's a fascinating sort of tension between uh, recency bias and uh, maybe these new levels you're talking about. Maybe some players that have reached new levels or uh, players that um, look like they should be better in the future and should be are projected to be better that you just don't buy. Uh, you know. Like the Max Muncy, I think, where you're just like, I just don't think he's healthy. So there's a there's a there's like a different set of uh, parameters. It's a di- slightly different game, and yet you could do the draft and draft and hold, and you wouldn't have to do all the responsibilities of uh, setting the lineup every day and uh, doing free agency auctioning. So uh, I think that would be a, a good way to to give people like a little second juice. And if we did it, if we made July Fourth like the marker for it. 
uh people have off you know like you know it's like july 4th weekend it's like oh yeah that's second draft season Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whatever those you know, four days are, or everything leading up to that. Yeah, start the league on the Tuesday after the fourth. And it's too too early for for uh, fantasy football, you know, uh, preparation unless you're Jake Seeley, probably. Well, it's it's too early for <laughs> fantasy football for a lot of people, but there's also, I think, what fantasy football's done better is they've pushed the best ball season up over time. I don't think the I don't think the broader community's interest in fantasy football has followed in a way that like where the two lines are, are even, but it has led to some growth, right? So the, the diehards are, are all over it and they always have been. They've The diehards will start drafting for the next season after the current one begins. Like I, I do that for baseball, yeah. so I get it. There's always some, some amount of demand for let's go, let's play right now. But there is, I think, some significant growth over time in doing drafts in the summer. Now, for example, I play in a fantasy football league with a bunch of friends that I grew up with. I don't think any of them have touched a fantasy football best ball yet this summer, even though I know there are companies out there that have been offering them and they're populating plenty of drafts. I see, see people tweeting about them. It's not just Jake. Jake's not on Jake Island on this one. <laughs> so I just think that like, you should look at that and say, okay, yeah, baseball's never football. We're not trying to make baseball more like fantasy football from the how it's played perspective, but creating more events and more opportunities to analyze players and build teams seems like a good thing. So and keep people, keep people, invested in your sport while your sport's still playing <laughs> right which this, i mean this doesn't really fall on on major league baseball but it's just another way to keep people engaged with your product if you happen to run leagues i'm not trying to call out the nfbc or fan tracks obviously if there was more demand in this when they did it before they'd still be doing it so something's a little bit off in terms of how well, much interest there was and, and you know whether or not it was worth doing i think there is a little bit of a focus on betting um and one thing that's interesting is when you sort of look at the rakes, um, you look at what the, the house takes in DFS, because I think DFS was supposed to be, in a way, a thing that countered this, right? DFS, you can make a new lineup every night. That's like that's the tagline, right? Make a new lineup every night. Right. Um, but you lose, um, you lose heavy players when you take like a 16% rake, which is what some of the big houses are doing so you know if i'm a if i'm a big if i'm a person that could maybe bet or maybe do dfs and i see that the rake you know is 16 percent there and the vig is like nine what is it it's like nine less than 16 nine cents on the dollar i think yeah i think it's nine in betting it's a big difference but I still think there's overlap in these spaces in terms of people that listen to this show and play season-long fantasy. There's some interest in betting for sure. I don't think it's as much overlap for baseball as it is for other sports. I feel like the the overlap in football, betting on a football game is a lot different than betting on a baseball game. Yeah, because there's, there's one game this week and you can think about it all week. And It's so much less granular. Yeah. I love baseball. I don't like betting on baseball as much. It's not fun. I, I if I had to, if you said, "Here's a thousand dollars, you have to go bet on sports with it," I would wait for football season and bet it on football I'd games. Probably bet on basketball, yeah. Or yeah, basketball season too. But like hockey's like this too. I like hockey. I like watching hockey. Love watching baseball. Not as interested in betting on them. It is crazy because you're thinking about park factors and humidors and. 
Yeah. You know, how does that, that pitchers, you know, pitches match up and, and how do those hitters, how does that lineup match up? And that demand exists. There are people that want that. I'm just not one of them. And I think I'm not necessarily alone in thinking that 12 week or 15 week so fantasy seasons are fun. a different way for you to kind of be engaged in the action, but not on that, not end in a granular fashion, but not in the, all the way um you know what that it might take to to really bet what to bet well i just think making predictions over longer periods of time is more enjoyable mm. to me by a lot because I, I think it, i feel i feel that the process plays out in a way that's a little bit more fair obviously we're in a season like any other season where star players get hurt i saw i think it was jeff passan or a bunch of other national writers were tweeting about all the all the star players that are hurt that happens every year you could look at the ADP every single year in fantasy baseball and run through the first 20 players and find that half a dozen of them at least missed significant time, right? Like Turner's been healthy, Ramirez has been healthy, Soto's been healthy, but go down to Harper, hurt badly right now. Luis Robert missed some time earlier this season. Betts hurt right now. Bueller hurt right now. Acuna missed time at the beginning of the season. Albies hurt badly. Woodruff has missed some time. Scherzer hurt badly. That's normal. And I think... Playing for 12, 15 weeks, you know, we all deal with that. We deal with our share of bumps and bruises on our team. We have to replace a star usually at some point unless we catch really good fortune. That, to me, is a more enjoyable game than who's going to win this game tonight. Is this player going to homer tonight? Is this guy going to strike out five or more batters tonight? At least that last question is at least driving at something that I feel, I don't know, I feel is a little bit more predictable based on a series of factors that are reasonably easy to digest and understand yeah no i i get it i get it i've joked in, on this thing about how uh over the course of one player's career you can be right and wrong about them a million different times or how yeah. like you know i was right to put shane mcclanahan in the top 10 and then i was wrong to not put him in the top four <laughs> you know what I mean? it's like but, but, a I was, month but i was now, right but i was right <laughs> a month from now maybe you'll be originally right depending yeah. on how things go between now and then that it's those longer snapshots that I think are just the most enjoyable to me. So I'm, I'm surprised that there aren't more in-season variations of, of what you know looks like a season-long fantasy baseball league. Yet Yahoo has uh, their stuff still up and running. You can do an offline draft or you can do auto-pick. That doesn't help me. I can't. I can't find enjoyment. Now. I, mean, I don't just getting enough people together for a regular draft is bad enough. <laughs> Let's get 13 of our friends and then let's make a Google sheet and then let's take an eight-hour block of time to figure out how to draft all our rosters. And then uh, you, volunteer person over there, why don't you import all the rosters into Yahoo for us? Like That's not... Well, that's not going to work. But if NFAC had on their thing uh, a a draft and hold, you know, two-hour draft or whatever, just get on the system, they'd they'd, they'd probably get money from me. I think they'd get a, they'd get some money from some people, but again, I, I trust that they they realize that the demand wasn't high enough to justify time Labor that goes into making whatever, sure it yeah. runs. So that's why they don't do it. I'm just bummed that that's not a a bigger part of of the conversation. And maybe people out there listening are nodding along, saying, "Yeah, I'd like to play in a second half league." Or maybe people listening are saying, "This is the worst topic you guys have had in three months. What are you what are you on? Like draft season's draft season because of when it happens and because it's a full season, not because it's a but partial season." But it's so season. exciting. We can't have like a little mini draft season. I said this before. Uh, the Chandler Park leagues from five ish years ago. Those were monthly leagues with a salary cap on them. 
that was really fun where you could the prices would come out i think the last week of the the month before you would you know, build your team for the next month it'd run for four weeks there was an overall component individual component and you just go on and do it again i think that concept is something that i really liked it's just it, it's hard to get enough people to play it i guess to make it viable for for all parties involved Got a few mailbag questions to get to here. I had a question about chasing batting average because we have talked a lot on this show about the ball and the humidor effects and what that's doing to power in particular. But Daniel was curious how we would decide if it's worth the fight for batting average points or to punt and double down on some low average guys and then what kinds of players we might be targeting if we were going to try and make up ground in the batting average category. It's it's rough going, man. I mean, you have to think about it. We're almost a, a third of the way through the season. So if you have been doing something for a third, you have all this ballast, right? You have the, the third of this, the two months that you've been doing, you've been hitting at 250, right? Or you've been hitting at 235 or whatever it is. Then you have to, if you want to say, make it from 240 to 250, uh, then you have to do two, you have to do twice, like you have twice as long um, but you already have this one third ballast, right? So like in order to get to 250, you actually have to hit like, uh, 260, 255. Well, we're, yeah, we're almost, we're closing on the midway point in the season. I think we're you over have, 70 like, games. Two, now. two months of 240 and you're trying to get to 260 at the end or 250 at the end yeah i think you have to i think you have to you have to do 255 260 so if we're talking about even yeah like if, if we're right in the middle of the season yes if you were 240 for the first half and you were 260 for the second half you'd end up at 250 so right. it changes what you need to do to make up that ground but so now you have a chance of maybe doing 256 257 but but i think people give up on batting average a lot timing as far as punting it i mean we're far enough in the season if you're really lagging an average and you're not particularly close like you you kind of punted it a bit on draft day and everything has come out the way you expected it to i don't know if this is a good time to try and and rally back and i think this particular season this particular run environment adds that layer of difficulty that was implied in daniel's question it's just if the ball is not flying the same way how can we trust that the guys that hit the ball the opposite way or guys that do things that ordinarily pretend a high batting average how do we know they're going to come through given these massive disparities in this run environment compared to previous ones yeah, you know, I just did a, I did a, a quick search of XBA on 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 Fangraphs. They've got the they've got the Statcast leaderboard, um, and to your point, like uh, Ryan Mountcastle, for example, has a three nineteen XBA and a two seventy one batting average. That's a top ten XBA uh, and the lowest batting average among the top ten players in that, right? So you could say, oh, well, there's that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a guy who has all the components together to hit for a high average and has a lower average than the guys around him. That's what you want, you know? Uh, how much of that is related to old Baltimore park factors? You know? Fair question. Uh, how much of that is related to the, the ball in a way that hasn't been adjusted for yet? So... Uh, I mean, I, there's certain things I like about Mountcastle, but I don't necessarily think of him as a 319 hitter the rest of the way. The you know using this same method, uh, two guys that pop, pop are Jose Breu and Kyle Tucker. I, I believe in those guys. Alec Bohm, I believe in. I believe in. Uh, he could hit for a good average going forward. But Max Kepler's on here, and I know his his batted ball spray has changed a little bit, and there's some aspects that are more pro batting average. 
But given all that, he's hitting 244 and he's always hit for a low average. I'm just not buying that he's going to hit 303 the rest of the season. Um, or in, and, you know, XPA isn't predictive on that level anyway. So if I was telling somebody to uh, look for a type of player, I would just say look for a player that doesn't strike out 20% of the time. So, you know, the K percentage is less than 20% and um, has power, you know, has more than zero power. So uh, team players like that are Alex Verdugo, Michael Brantley, uh, Jeff McNeil, um, you know, Arnado, but, you know, we're talking about acquirable players. <laughs> so, so you seem more inclined to trade for the guys that are already hitting for average as opposed to trading for the guys that are underperforming their average. Uh, yes. Uh, what I was just, I was just using a, a straight like here. Here are guys that have uh, a good strikeout rate and some power. Ver, I mean, Verdugo is only hitting 256. So uh, that's somebody who's underperforming his average. Yeah, but him, but the Brantley and then McNeil. Those are guys that. Yeah, if you said project their average for the rest of the season, I'd drop about a 290 on all of them with maybe even slightly higher numbers on others. Yeah. I mean, it's... Well, here's a name, Alex Bregman. Bregman is uh, a player that I'm sneaky wrong about right now. <laughs> 234 uh, for him. And maybe even Yuli Gurriel, 223 for him. Um, and there's Max Kepler just staring at me again. I mean, Corey Seager came up on the show maybe two or so weeks ago now. He makes sense as someone that's going to hit for average the rest of the way, in addition to you know providing power and runs and RBIs, doesn't steal bases, never really has, probably never will. He makes sense to me as someone that's going to be just fine in that category and even well above the typical player. So he would make sense. I I actually think the better way to dig out of the hole in batting average, if you're you're not totally buried in the category and you want to try and make a run at it, I think you're looking for the the high variance mashers that have underperformed their batting mm. averages so far. Guys that scald the ball, but also because of their profiles can go surprisingly quiet in batting average. Christian Walker, a frequent mm. player discussed on this show, he actually kind of makes sense to me as someone that you would trade for if you're trying to make up ground in batting average because he will help you in the other categories regardless. You're going to get homers, you're going to get runs, you're going to get RBIs. And there's a decent chance that he's undervalued because his average is low, but he might actually be just fine in batting average for you the rest of the way. I think finding a few guys like that might actually be a, a low-key way to make a bit of an impact in that category without having to you know, pay a premium for it in the case of a Jeff McNeil type or someone who actually is hitting for average right now. So it's a little bit of like a Kyle Schwarber situation where like, Mm-hmm. You know, he's hitting 219, but he's fourth in the league in barrel rate. He's got an expected batting average of 251. Like, you could expect him to to hit for a better batting average going forward just because of how hard he hits the ball. Uh, yeah. Let me see. You know, I, 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 Patrick Wisdom is popping on this list of barrel rate with low batting average uh, that I'm doing right now, but he, his strikeout rate is so aggressive that. Um, I don't know about him, but yeah, Walker doesn't strike out that much, barrels a lot, and has a 206 average. That's a good one. Um, I, I, would you put Luke Voigt on that list? I think so. We talked about him a little bit on the the waiver episode this weekend. I think both Voigt and and Fran Mil Reyes, who came up a month or so ago, I mean they're they're probably not going to help you a lot in that category, but they're probably not as bad as people make them out to be. And sometimes that buying opportunity is just a, a way to get in and, and do pretty well. I mean, the 
Luke Voigt hit 277 in the shortened season. He hit 263 his first season, first full season with the Yankees back in 2019 with the rabbit ball. And I don't think he's a 220, 230 guy, but the projections seem to think that's what he is. So it's, there's just some interesting players like that that you wouldn't you would not think of them as great sources of batting average, but they're probably better sources of batting average than the projections are pointing to. And I think when you can find those players, you get a pretty nice buying opportunity. Cole Calhoun kind of pops for me this this way. You know, he's got the 23rd best barrel rate in baseball this year. Would not have guessed that. You know, he's hitting 240. I, I think he's also safer, you know, because I think Kosh Schwarber could hit 219 for the whole season. That's that's the so that's why I was saying look for the low K rates and the high and the and the and the okay ISOs. Those are the guys that should hit for batting average. You know, I don't know. Sometimes these high variance masters just have a whole season where they hit up for a 55% fly ball rate and hit 219, you know, like Joey Gallo. Um, but Cole Calhoun has a higher ceiling because I do actually think 235 to 250 is kind of, you know, 235, 240. I think that's his batting average floor. You know, his XBA is 270. He's changed some things at the plate and they're starting to, 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 to mesh for him. So I think he could hit 270 going forward, 280. Um, so I just think he's a, he's a really interesting one because compared to a Wisdom or Schwarber uh, or even a Voigt, I think he has a higher batting average floor. Yeah, the suggestion to trade for Bregman was actually in uh, Daniel's question, too. Kirk came up as another name. Ahmed Rosario came up as another name. But I, I think Bregman, part of the reason why I'm so wrong about Bregman, at least why I think I'm wrong about Bregman, I could be wrong about why I'm wrong about Bregman, too. <laughs> so fun to be wrong on multiple levels like that. I think part of it is that I I see the low K rate, and I think that that automatically gives him a higher floor than we've seen to this point and I think that might be a little bit off the projections are finally pointing to numbers below most of what he's done when he's been healthy throughout his career right he was in the 280 to 290 range from 2017 to 2019 he was at 270 mm. back in 2021 and all the projections are under that for him now so the the type of contact he makes and being so so pull dependent for the power in particular has just been one of those things where I think it was it Bregman or was it someone else that you said is maybe like a peak Brian Dozier because of how he gets to that power. The downside to peak Brian Dozier is something people might remember. There was a lot more a lot more variance than there should have been relative to other players with some of those other underlying skills. Again, like the, in the things like strikeout rate and and just the basic ways we try to construct who a player is. So I think that's probably where I've aired a little bit when it comes to my expectations for Alex Bregman simply being too high. Yeah, and I think what's happening uh, with him as well is that that pull X, that pull aspect of his game that he does re- rely on for the, the power. He's very much a high and tight and yank it, uh, yank it for a homer kind of hitter. Um, is I think he's been shifted more over time. It's a little hard to just see it when you uh, pull up the Fangraphs thing because it's it's in raw numbers, uh, but he's been shifted um, more times this year than he was last year already. And last year he had 400 plate appearances, and he's got 296 this year. So that's just what happens. You pull the ball 50% of the time, you start you start getting really shifted. 
and that's probably robbing some some batting average from him. Yeah, so uh, a lot to think about throughout um, you know this part of our conversation. But he because... seems so safe as a hitter, dude. Yes, and I know even with the Dozier thing, he seems he's safer. Didn't Dozier strike out more? Mm, yes, he did. He, at the kind of middle. Like this late late twenties, early thirties, he was striking at about twenty percent of the time. Before that, he was just under twenty percent. He also ran more though too. So Dozier had that other way of of making up fantasy value. Why did this peak come so fast, dude? Was it all injury? Yeah, he crashed pretty hard in the middle of the in the middle of the juice ball era too. You would have thought. Strange to uh, to say the least, but thanks a lot for that question, Daniel. I had a question here that came in from Tom about Ryan McMahon. I don't think we've talked about Ryan McMahon all season, and it was oh no, that was that was Mountcastle. I was talking about everything. Yeah, McMahon, like what's wrong with Ryan McMahon? If anything, and I looked at the profile before we started recording, I don't see anything in that profile, at least at a glance, that gives me doubts about him. In the second half of the season, I'm actually very surprised we're not getting more power from him. K rates and walk rates are in line with career norms. Barrel rate is actually up from where it was last year, up slightly from where it's been for his entire career. I don't, I don't see the flaw. What, what is, what is wrong with Ryan McMahon? I mean, I think he generally strikes out too much, but uh, 27% in this league is fine. The, it just, for some reason, the barrels are not turning into homers. He's not an extreme pull guy. Maybe he's uh, going oppo with too many barrels. But I think he's a, a fine pickup. Yeah. The shallow league guy that might have become available. Someone you could trade for. And I think because of the park also might bring more batting average than you would expect for a player with that, with that K rate and yeah, with that yeah. profile. So could be another sneaky player that sort of fits into the let's make up some ground and average while we're also buying low on a player for some potential power too. Yeah, I've been throwing him in some of my dynasty leagues uh, trade offers recently. No nibbles yet, so it's always hard to get a true under, you know, undervalued buy. Everyone's uh, everyone wants the no. I see that too. I see his barrel rate too, dude. But we got deep, 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 breaking news, breaking news, hot off the wire. Deep, 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 deep. The Seattle Mariners have acquired Carlos Santana. For cash considerations and White Mills, no, and cash considerations for right-hander White Mills and right-hander William Fleming. Hmm. Okay. So, I guess he becomes the Mariners' regular first baseman. They were having a little bit of an issue there. Uh, Ty France just got hurt, so maybe it's diagnosed the grade two flexor strain. That's probably. That's a that's six a, to eight a weeks. Month. Yeah, yeah, I would guess he's not a pitcher, but um, th- it was a little bit similar to the Max Muncie injury. I guess this is a better yeah. outcome, but it was similar to that. And you know, when your hand, the the runner sort of, and the ball and the hand all were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, so I guess Santana's their first baseman now, trying to trying to make up that lost production from Ty France. Um, I don't know. I think Santana could be almost like a, a DFA or uh, release relegated to the bench if France comes back healthy, though. I think the real news here, though, is Vinny Pasquantino, Italian yeah. beef, getting <laughs> the call up for the be. Royals. And I think it's interesting that he comes up. Is he up the call on up? Day. Has that been confirmed? 
I think I have a confirmation on that. Oh. Pasquantino got, uh, yeah, MLB Pipeline. Royals have called up their number three prospect, Vinny Pasquantino. Vinny, Vinny, Vinny. So they're calling him the Italian nightmare. Hmm. Clay Link calls him Italian beef. Mm-hmm. And then other people call him Italian breakfast. We're going to have to hash this oh, out. And so the breakfast thing probably just is like a. a That's Butler. That's the Billy yeah, Butler connection. Yeah, because he's a Billy Butler. Same org. Yeah. I could see Italian beef. Uh, he's listed at 245, 6'4", 245. I mean, if they put a listing of 245 on you, you could be as heavy as 275, 280. So. Well, I'm just I'm glad that Pasquantino's call-up overlaps the day where I kind of brought up the Alejandro Kirk just hits, and because his dimensions on the back of a baseball card are unusual, maybe people undervalued him. I wonder if that could have happened with Pasquantino along the way. I know he had pretty pretty much like a legit breakout in the minors last year. Like he reached a new level last season. He's but he hit at the lower levels. Like he was good. He was good kind of everywhere previously, right? In 2019, it was, it was rookie ball. He was old for rookie ball. That's what it comes back to. Um, he was 21 at rookie ball in 2019. Lost the 2020 season like everyone else did. I'm looking at pictures of him now. I don't know if I'm, I'm getting the beef, man. He, he, looks, uh, he looks good. That's great. If the beef was supposed to be in reference to uh, his midsection, at least. I, I don't know. I just think people like Italian beef sandwiches. Ah, yeah. That's good. And also, uh, his power stats are beefy, combined with way nice strikeout rates. Very exciting. Very exciting uh, statistical line for him. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what he does. The question I had for you, though, is that when we first looked at him, I think he was a prospect of the week selection once upon a time. I think Vinny Pasquantino's minor league numbers looked a lot like Nathaniel Lowe's minor league numbers. Mm. Part of the problem with Lowe when he first broke in with the Rays is that he didn't really have a spot that was clearly his own, and he was an up-and-down guy. I don't think that's as much of a concern with the Royals, especially where they're at right now and where the Rays were at when when Lowe first broke in. But I do think I want to see, okay, now that he's outside of the PCL environments, Omaha itself, not your high-altitude amazing place to hit the way that a lot of other places around that league can be what does the underlying power look like in terms of max exit velo and barrels like that's going to be fascinating to see i think this is a profile that's definitely worth taking a chance on and if nathaniel Lowe is the floor that's a a relevant corner guy in a 15 team mixed league with occasional 12 team value i think there's a chance that pasquantino actually has clearly more raw power that is absolutely on the table here uh Think about it in the context of the Harper replacement. You know, this looks like a guy who is going to have a really good, nice strikeout rate and a really nice ISO, and so therefore probably a really nice batting average. So if you wanted to replace everything but the stolen base, now put it in the context of the thing you said, home run hammer in terms of the free agency auction, are you going to go to two, $300 on, on Vinny? The good thing is, in many leagues, you've got a seven days to think to about it. You get see him for seven days. That's right. <laughs> you get a peek. You get a peek at some of those numbers. I realize he's been picked up in a few leagues over the last month or so as a imminent call-up. We knew this was going to happen eventually. It was a question of when exactly and how. Were they going to DFA Carlos Santana in Kansas City? Well, it turned out someone else had an injury, and they were able to move him off the roster that way. Pasquatito's got three steals at AAA. Might even get you a handful of bags. Maybe. I don't know. I wouldn't, wouldn't bank on it. Just saying. He, he's a non-zero contributor. You know what this reminds me of a little bit, too, is uh, looking at your Don 
numbers before he came up? I mean, doesn't it? It's almost a near match. I'm going to take a trip back to Jordan's minor league numbers. I also remember holding the hammer for Jordan Alvarez uh, when he came up in 2019 and using it and being very happy. He had 313 with 27 homers in his, in his first league. And then in the minor leagues, you're looking at Jordan Alvarez actually struck out a little bit more than Vinny. Yeah, and I think with Jordan Alvarez, I mean, that was the 2019 year of the rabbit ball at AAA also. Obviously a great player. I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying... He had 50 homers that year combined. <laughs> yeah, what part of, of the, the power being 23 homers in 56 games, what percentage of those home runs were the result of the ball? Well, a non-negligible uh, non number of them, probably the result of the ball. But still, amazing player. Still leaves a lot of a lot of other ones that he did, right? But that's why okay. But that's why I like WRC plus because it's in in the appropriate context. One seventy WRC plus at AAA before he debuted. Yeah, one forty four for Pasquantino this year. Yeah, and and uh, what was it for Alvarez? Was one seventy. One seventy. So better, but. Something similar about it for me. Uh, I'm into Vinny. If I had the hammer, I would really consider using it. The uh, what do you think Nate Lowe's AAA WRC plus was in 2019? Oh no! Shut up! <laughs> shut Just up! Throw a number out there. What do you think it was? 145. Yeah, 141. All right. <laughs> Lots of walks. He struck out a little more than than Vinny has so far this year. I think that's the thing about Vinny Pasquantino. His ISO didn't reach the same heights, right? Like it's, it, it's more like low 200s with a 266 high. Whereas yeah. Vinny, Vinny has been above 200 easily, lowest of 250, and he's had now basically 300 ISOs twice. So are we saying Vinny Pasquantino is definitely worth a pickup down to at least 12 team leagues? Is this a minor league profile you'd buy into even in leagues more shallow than that i mean the three o show league is a 10 team league should should he be rostered and possibly used in that league i'm not i'm not going to pick him up right this minute so if you're racing to do that while we're talking it's fine <laughs> i'm doing it <laughs> unreal i hope someone else beat you to him <laughs> i'm doing it while I'm talking to you Terrible. um i actually it's a little bit it's a little bit harder. I could drop a Nico Horner, um, but Nico Horner's been playing really well, and he's a middle infielder, and I just lost Ozzy Albies, so uh, I'm not going to necessarily do it right now. But yeah, I think I think he's got to get picked up in every league. All right, so by the time we get to the end of this week, when the waiver wire oh, episode... Oh, somebody did beat us. Yes, you deserve that. Who's who's Steven in third place? Uh, I think that's Steve Berman. Oh, Nice. You got him. Good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. someone else got him because I don't think it would have been right for, for you while I was piloting the show to just weasel on in there and make that move. First come, first serve. This is our, our PSA against first come, first serve. But in that, that particular league, I think it actually works. Works just fine most of the time. All right. I'm with you, though. Pasquantino. I think there's enough there. There could be average, plenty hey. of power, run production. It could all be there. And I think guys that strike out as little as Pasquantino does – can come up and have a pretty high level of success right away. Yeah, 100%. And and you just don't have any of the questions like we had with the Corbin Carroll. It's like, who, who are you holding the hammer for otherwise? 
And, you know, if it's Francisco Alvarez, he's a catcher, and the Mets, you know, have catchers. They're not going to go to a rookie catcher unless there's, a, I think, a catastrophic injury into one of their regular catchers, right? And uh, if you're talking Corbin Carroll, they've actually got players in there. So who else are you waiting on? You know, this is this is probably who you we were waiting on. And unless there's an objection from Mr. Vinny Pasquantino himself, I'm still pushing Italian beef as the All best right. of the nicknames. But it's really his call at this point. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll see him have a nice productive first week. Because, look, if I can't have him, if I can't get him on my teams, I want someone else to just empty the fab piggy bank. That's the next best thing to me getting a player that I want. If you've got a question for a future episode, you can email us, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. You can also ask the question in the comment section underneath this video on YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. If you'd like to sign up for The Athletic, you can do that for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. On Twitter, you can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Rates and Barrels returns on Thursday. Thanks for listening.